following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation is where we're going to be at this morning. Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 7 through 13. I do want to say how um, blessed we are and what an honor it is to be a part of Community Gospel Church and to see so many familiar faces. But also, I want to tip my hat to those who are currently serving at Community Gospel, making Christ known near and far. It was interesting. When we started kind of this endeavor and this process, we found some documents about when Community Gospel Church first started. And it was amazing that we saw people who were coming to know Jesus. And we see people who were getting saved and trusting in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Son. And we saw baptisms. And it's awesome to see after 50 years, that is still taking place. We have seen people come to make declarations of faith in Christ. We have seen the people who are lost come to be found. And we have seen people who are found built up, continually encouraged, and awesomely equipped to share the love of Christ with a world that needs it so bad. We thought about what to preach this morning. And uh, in kind of some of those deliberations, we said, man, if there is a message that we could communicate at 50, it would be this. Because in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, it talks very specifically from John through Jesus Christ about Christ's seven prayers for the church. And so in the past couple of weeks, that's what we've been talking about, is what is Christ's prayer for the church? We've been laying pavement for the next 50 years, and um, as we look at these passages of Scripture, it's so clear that Christ not only loves the church, but He has a desire to see the church grow. Revelation talks about the end times, and it says essentially, if you have put your faith in Christ, and what that means is, if you believe that Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross covers your sin, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will, as Romans says, be saved. And our eternal destination as believers is a long-lasting, eternal life with Christ in heaven. If we reject that message, the Bible very clearly says that God will honor your decision and He will reject you. And so we here at Community Gospel Church, we believe in a literal heaven. We believe in a literal hell. And we believe that Christ loves the church and wants what's best for her. If this is your first week, let me catch you up just where we've been. We looked at, first of all, the first church, which is the church of Ephesus. The prayer of Christ for the church of Ephesus, which is a prayer for us, is that they wouldn't lose their passion for when they first came to know Christ. We talked about when you first got married, some of you, that's a long time to remember, some of you very short. But what we realized is that you should never lose that passion for your spouse. You should never lose that passion for your relationship with Christ. From Ephesus, we moved over to Smyrna and understood that when you share Christ, you're going to get persecuted. Not everybody likes it. And so in your persecution, remain steadfast. The messenger took the gospel or the letter from uh, the church of Ephesus to the church of Smyrna, and then he goes into the church of Pergamum. And that lesson there was do not conform to the patterns of this world. In other words, don't compromise your faith. Moving from there to Thyatira, we realized we shouldn't compartmentalize our faith. Did you know that God doesn't want us to be Sunday Christians? 
He wants us to be Monday Christians, and Tuesday Christians, and Wednesday Christians, and Thursday Christians. And he wants us to be on point for him 24-7, 365. And then last week we talked about Sardis. We talked about don't just know who you are, but be who you are. In other words, live in the now. Remember the past, honor it well, but understand that you got work to do, and we have work to do as Christians. And so we land here in Revelation to the church of Philadelphia. Let's pray for clarity this morning. God, thank you so much for your word and what it says and that it's been faithfully taught here for the last 50 years. Thank you for your church and being the head of your church. Thank you for your continued faithfulness. Thank you for the opportunities that you have in the presentation of the gospel for those who are lost to come to be found and for those of us who are already found to be encouraged and spurred on into more of a life of godliness. This morning, God, I pray that the message is very clear that the message of so long ago to this small church in Philadelphia would resonate with us today, that it would spur us on to remember how important it is to live on point for you, and that you would help us and to know that all things are possible, whether it's good times or bad. We as a church have seen seasons of good and seasons of struggle and been faithful in all of those seasons. And we pray very specifically as we preach your word today that we would continue to preach your word tomorrow and the next day until you come to call us home. We do pray very specifically, as the Bible says, that you're coming again soon, and we long for that, God. We long that you would come again soon, that you would revive us, and that you would rescue us. But while we wait very patiently, we ask that you would work in and through us. Help us to be your hands and your feet. Help us to be your mouthpiece and help this message to be clear today for not only the congregation that is gathered, but for me too as well. It's in your wonderful name that we pray. Amen. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. To the church in Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The church in Philadelphia overseas. Okay? Write this down to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Words are in red because Jesus is speaking through John. He's using him as a mouthpiece to essentially clarify what he wants them to know. To the angel, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago, which would be the pastor or the spiritual leaders of the church or those who are kind of in charge. I want you to write down these words. The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Let's look at the first part of that verse first, and let's uh, see some facts on Philadelphia. See if there's any parallels between our society and that society that existed so long ago. Philadelphia was a city that was named for the king of Pergamum. His name was Atlas Philadelphus, who had built it. Philadelphia is similar to the Greek, or Philadelphius, similar to the Greek word Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. If you've ever been to Philadelphia, it is not the city of brotherly love. Even if you love the Eagles or the Phillies, it is not the city of brotherly love. Their loyalty is always in question. And if you doubt it, Matt Moyer goes to our church. He's a Philadelphia Eagle, uh, Phillies fan. You can pray for him. He also likes the Eagles. <clears throat> 28 miles southeast of Sardis is where we see this small town of Philadelphia. They were a city that prided themselves on agriculture as well as industry. They grew grapes, and so because of those grapes, they produced wine. 
And from that wine, they would worship gods and goddesses and the gods of fertility. So they clung to the Roman times. They, they clung to these truths, and it caused them to falter and to fall. But what we also see in Philadelphia is there was agriculture there, much like we have today. There's a trade route, Tamisha, Lydia, and Perga, that merged in Philadelphia. So essentially, it is much like South Bend, where all these highways just kind of come in and through the city. And so we see here in Philadelphia that there's a postal route that also goes through, which causes much trade. So if you wanted the best wine, you got it from Philadelphia. And people loved it. Imagine that. Still true today. People love their wine. Be careful with it. Earthquakes are going to destroy the city several times. And what's happening here is Philadelphia is going to receive funding uh, or Philadelphia, excuse me, is going to reject funding because they are so wealthy to rebuild the city. And we also see that other towns um, that we previously studied, they receive funding. And so Philadelphia is going to be a little bit differently. Excuse me, they did receive funding uh, from Rome. And so in anticipation, citizens changed the name of the city a couple of times. There were many temples, religious festivals, worship of gods and goddesses, and we see that it's still around today, some of those remnants. So what we have here is we have a small church that's in the midst of all of this kind of problems. We have a small church that's kind of dealing with the culture, that wants what it wants, but the church is essentially looking at it and saying, but God wants something else. So we have parallels to draw from this church to our church because we struggle with the same thing. We see a community that surrounds us and we understand that that community wants what it wants. And we're stuck where we see that God wants what he wants. And we wrestle internally with what does it look like for us to be in the world but not of the world. And we are much like Philadelphia that's gathered here. The church is struggling. And because they're staying true to Christ, they're not seeing people come to know Christ. They're just faithful. They're ministering and they're being the hands and feet in Jesus and they're sharing their faith and they're sharing their passion. But they're not seeing a lot of growth. And so they don't have any wealth, they don't have any prestige, and they're discouraged because numerically and spiritually it looks like they're small, but God's going to look at them and say, listen, just because you're small, you got to understand that you're mighty. Kind of like King David, right? A little small guy, but he had a heart for the Lord. Now, let's go to the second part of the passage. It says, the one who, whole, who is holy and true. Here we see that Christ is going to describe himself as holy. Absolutely perfect. This is going to appear over and over and over in the book of Revelation. And why is it so important? Because essentially what he's saying is, listen, church, I know you're stuck. And I know you feel like you're, you're trying your hardest and you're striving to do the things of the word. But what I want you to remember here is that I called you to be holy just as I'm holy. If you're reading this, the passage in 1 Peter would have popped up. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We can be holy because God is holy. And we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his son. So you are to remain faithful and remain steadfast because your eyes are on the one who gives you holiness. Look at what he says, the key of David. In Isaiah chapter 22, it says that the secretary of state in Judah was taken from Shebna and given to Elikim. And God wrote this down. I will give him, speaking of Jesus, the key to the throne of David, 
the highest position in the royal court. He will open doors and no one will be able to shut them. He will close doors and no one will be able to open them. What he's saying here is that Christ holds the keys of the death and Hades, speaking of spiritual treasures. You are concerned because you are being pushed and persuaded by the world. But understand that you can remain steadfast and you can be like Christ because you have a relationship with God. But also understand that Christ is the one that holds all the keys and he is the one that has the opportunity for you not just to live a life for him now, but live a life for him for eternity. He wants the church to know that he holds the keys, not secular society. So Christ has absolute power. His resume is on display. And what he's saying here is to the people is, I'll open a door for you and your salvation is assured. No one can shut it. No one can open it. Just me. Judgment is certain. I'm coming. I'll help you. This is the basis of the book of Revelation. Choose whom now you will serve. He continues. Verse 8. I know, I know, Christ says, I know your works. That either makes you uncomfortable or it makes you confident, doesn't it? When you see that God knows what's going on, he also sees it. He says, your works, behold, I have set before you an open door. He's going to say it again for a specific reason, but we'll get to that in just a second. No one is able to shut that open door. And I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. And so what we see here is, uh, with the other letters, Christ knows the deeds that they've done, but there is no rebuke for the church. It's small, you have little strength, and it has little impact on the city, but yet you still obey, you don't deny me, and you have been faithful in difficulty. Man, that's community gospel. 50 years, you've been faithful in all seasons, preaching the word, teaching the truth, evangelizing to those who are lost, edifying those who are found. He says, I've opened a door that no one can shut. Essentially, what was happening in Philadelphia was prime location for evangelism. It was prime location for people to share their faith. All these people are coming in from all these different places, and the church had opportunity to really proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, listen, you're going to see people who are going to come from all over the place and they're going to desire something that is of the world and you give them that which is of the world, of the word. And so he says to them, I have opened a door for you that no one can shut. And what he's saying here is that there are Jewish believers who had accepted Christ and got excommunicated because of their faith in him. Some of this has happened to you. Some of this has happened to us where you had trusted Christ and your family is not following suit. There's people in Community Gospel Church who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and their family didn't follow suit. And you know what they do? They look at God and they say, God, did I make a mistake? All my friends and family didn't come with me. Did I make the wrong choice? And God looks at me and says, listen, I never make mistakes. And you can be holy as I am holy and understand that even though those people aren't going to come and even though those people don't look like they're going to accept me, I opened the door for you. I opened the door for you. You accepted it. You received it. Remain faithful and steadfast. I opened a door for you. Continue to remain in a relationship with me. Then he says, these people are synagogue of Satan. Now, I don't know how you read that, but if I was a Jew and I read that and I didn't know Jesus, I'd be kind of upset. 
It says they're a synagogue of Satan. In other words, what he says is those people who rejected God, rejected him, are a synagogue of Satan. Jews had put up a good front for being believers, but Christ saw right through it. And so he says they are opponents of the faith and needed to acknowledge the truth. He says, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. In Easter season, we uh, unpacked the truths of the triumphal entry of Jesus. And we saw that so many of the Jews that were there wanted Jesus to come and rule and reign and set up a kind of shop and have his authority over all the people. And we realized that they were gravely disappointed when he told them essentially that he has to die first. And so they saw that he wasn't going to set up his authority and so they scattered. And Jesus is massively depressed because the people left. Here, he's angry because they left. And he says, listen, the thing that they desire the most will happen, but will happen on the wrong side of eternity. They want to rule and reign with me, and they can. I opened that door to them so that they would have salvation. But here's the deal. If they don't accept me on this side, then I will reject them on the other side. And so Christ declares that they will worship me, and you will be included in that grand audience. How awesome it will be. We talked a couple weeks ago about being on the right side of a dodgeball team, right? He says, listen, it's so important for you to understand that you remain faithful to me on this side of eternity, and I'm going to honor you on the other side. And he says, these people who reject me, I see them as one synagogue of Satan. So what is the application there? I mean, in just those few simple verses, what is he talking about here? Well, first of all, it would be to the non-believer, the person that says, behold, I will make him come and worship before my feet. The push would be to get the Jew to come to a real relationship with Christ. And let me tell you something. There's some of us who are gathered here today, and we desperately want people in our life to come to know Jesus Christ. And you just got to continue to be faithful in doing what God has called you to do. We've been walking through Ecclesiastes in the nine o'clock hour And it's amazing that our work has purpose as Christians, but without Christ, uh, life doesn't have any purpose. And so we are called and commanded to be on point for Jesus Christ, edifying those who are lost and evangelizing to those who are lost, edifying those who are already found. Life is simple. Share your faith with those who need it the most. Build up your brothers and sisters in Christ and understand that some people are going to reject the message that you have. I'm reminded of Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. It's going to happen. Just remain faithful. Some of you are reminded of the old song, right? Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a call for the lost to come to know Christ. Choose now whom you will serve. You get the choice now, but the choice will be made for you for eternity. That's what Christ wants the Jews to know, and he wants us to know for the people that we evangelize to. Then he says, and to know that I have loved you. So that's a call for the Christian or the believer. On the surface, sometimes it can seem that God is not a fan of the church. Sometimes in the hardships that the church faces, it can seem like God is not shining down his favor upon us. And as a pastor of Community Gospel Church, we've had some of those seasons where we've looked at it and we've wondered, is it something that we're doing? Is there something that's wrong here? Is it something that is happening uh, with, with the church? Are we not being faithful? Are we not evangelizing? Are we not sharing our faith? Are we not loving well? And what Christ says here is, he says, listen, it's not that I'm not a fan of the Gentile church. 
It's just the opposite. I love and I care for you and I will come in the end. The call here is to be patient. Romans chapter 8, verse 30 says, I justified you. And just as I justified you, I'll glorify you. The remaining call for Christ's church is to remain steadfast and patient doing His will and His work. It has been the same call that community gospel has accepted in the last 50 years. It'll be the same call that we accept in the next 50 years. We are here as a church to evangelize those who are lost and share our faith with them and build up the brothers and sisters in Christ to show them that life is worth it. And we won't stop doing that. It's been amazing to hear all the stories from the past of the people who's like, I remember when I was at Community Gospel, we used to do evangelism training. Oh my goodness, we'd go through all the CEF, CEF training. They would put all these things on uh, the felt boards. Remember those things? They said, man, and then we would go out and we'd share our faith. And, and then uh, people, some people were like, we're crazy, you're crazy. And we were like, no, we're not crazy. We're just in love with Jesus. The same things are happening. We're seeing it happen. We would come when people had hardships and I've heard so many stories of, man, I remember when this person passed away. I remember when uh, we had this funeral here. I remember when uh, there was a, a divorce. I remember when we were divided because there were problems and the believers would come together and love one another. And he says, know that I have loved thee. Be patient, continue to be steadfast. And here he says in verse 10, as he continues that message, he says, listen, <clears throat> He says, because you have kept my word of patient endurance, the evangelism, the edification, patiently endured, continue to seek me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and your strength, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out in it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. And my new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is the prize for remaining steadfast? That's my question. What is the prize for remaining steadfast? I'm a selfish American, right? What do I get? We've been talking about this past couple weeks. What do I get if I do what God wants me to do? Well, it gives three promises here for what you get. He says, listen, first of all, no rebuke is going to come upon you. I will keep you from the hour of trial. It is a strong case for the fact that the church survives the rapture. And we don't have time to discuss that, but I'm sure many of you would like to. It doesn't matter if you're pre-trib or post-trib or mid-trib or whatever your view is. It's a sticky point. But it would do us well to understand that because the entire church or the body of Christ stands true to the faith, we avoid the tribulation if we patiently endure. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. You will not endure the hour of trial. It says from, not through. The promises of Christ are that he will bring us through the hardest of times. The promise of Christ is that He will always bring us through the hardest of times and He will save us from the hardest of time in the tribulation that's going to happen in Revelation chapter 6. If anything, this is encouraged for us as a church because we look at it and we say we should continue to live on point the call of Christ, the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of sharing our faith, the simplicity of loving the other person. There's no way that I was waking up yesterday for the royal wedding. No chance. 
But I heard an amazing message came out of that, that opportunity. And I went back and I heard it and I thought, wow, that's awesome. Here's the thing that surprised me the most. They allowed him to preach from an iPad uh, at the royal wedding, which I thought, whoa, progress in England. <clears throat> but he preached on love and I thought it was very interesting that he chose that topic. The interesting thing was that he's essentially alluded to the fact that if we love each other well, Christ saves us from trial, but also that he teaches us many things, that we almost welcome some of those trials because we learn how to love better. And I think that's a prayer for our church. I think we look at that. We learn how to love better because of where we have been and where we're going. I had an opportunity to go look at all those tables and see all of the paraphernalia from the back. Somebody said, there's socks out there from a softball tournament. So Jordan, are you going to wear those socks at the next softball tournament? I said, I think those things would disintegrate the second I put them on. I said, but isn't it neat, right, that they're there? And we see all of these things that essentially have taught us spread throughout the tables of how to love better. We learned from our mistakes. We continue to learn from our mistakes. We're going to make more mistakes, but God is faithful through it all. And he says, listen, I will be faithful in the, and save you from trial the ultimate trial, the tribulation. Promise number two, and I love this, I'm coming again soon. Verse 11 says, the concept is repeated in Revelation, not simply that the coming again soon, but it's also, it's going to be one of sudden uh, happening or quickly without warning. In light of Christ's coming, it says, hold on to what you have. So the first promise is that you should remain faithful in doing what I've called you to do, the second promise is that I am coming again soon. And we know that this is a promise that is good. We know that this is a promise that is good for us because we cling to the fact that God is a God who keeps his promises and that he is going to come again soon. We look forward to that with great anticipation. We made a major parenting fail uh, last night. My daughter Gianna, who's not in here, and I can talk about her because she's not in here and it would ruin her greatly if she heard the truth. Uh, but she lost a tooth the other day. And so we wrapped it up and we put it underneath of her pillow. And we realized that we made a, a fail as parents and we didn't put money in place of the tooth. <clears throat> and so Bethany texted me this morning and she says, major parenting fail. Jonna lost a tooth and I totally forgot to put money underneath of her pillow. And she came in crying her eyes out. The tooth fairy forgot. He didn't come. She didn't come. Give me money for my tooth. And I thought, oh, what a poor little girl, but what a great lesson, right? <laughs> so I asked her, I said, Bethany, what did you do? And she says, well, I told her that she slept on the floor last night instead of her bed, and that wasn't a great choice because the tooth fairy thought she was going to sleep in her bed, and she must have just not seen her. <laughs> and I said, that's, that's good, that's good. <laughs> The tooth fairy doesn't come, but guess what? Christ does. I'm going through some problems and some pain, right? I'm having some hardship in my life. I'm having some trial and tribulation. The trial and tribulation that I face right now is nothing compared to the tribulation that the world will face, that Christ will keep me from, because I know he's coming again soon to take me home. And I know that some other things in this world don't hold their promises, but guess what? God does. And I cling to the fact that he is coming again soon without warning, quickly and suddenly, and so I continue to live on point for him, sharing 
our faith as Matthew chapter 28 encourages us to do. To go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them the things that I have commanded you, for I will be with you always to the end of the age. That is not the call for just the pastor, it's the call for the congregation, it's the call for the Christian, for the believer. Because I want to work in you and through you, Christ says, because I'm coming back again. And then the third one, he says, you will be a pillar in the temple of God. I just think this is cool. found this from a commentary. It says, this is a symbolic of the permanent place in heaven for believers, referred to as the temple of God. The entire New Jerusalem will be the ultimate temple. In contrast to the earthly temples and earthly pillars which fall, believers will continue to reign forever in the temple with Christ. He says he's going to come to the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. And he repeated the promise when he said, I will also write on him or her my new name because believers have identified with Christ. He identifies with them. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he identifies with you. If you are going through suffering, guess what? He identifies with you. Christ went through suffering, endured pain, endured hardship, endured loss. I think sometimes we think ultimately of the cross, but I'm reminded of Lazarus. I'm reminded of the times which Jesus was sad and he wept and he went through things. But God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you always till the end of the age. Don't give up. Don't tarry. Don't fall. Don't falter. Stay consistent. Stay true. Christianity is simple. The world makes it complex. The believer makes it complex. The Bible says this is simple. I want to keep it simple. I want you to understand why you should share your faith. Because it continually reminds you of the gospel that you have received. But also it gives the opportunity for one who doesn't know the opportunity to accept. I want you to love your brothers and sisters well because it is a good model for you to follow because I loved you well. It's simple, but we make it complex. And he says, listen, if you remain in the simplicity of the gospel and the truths of my word, I'll keep you from the ultimate tribulation. I'll come back again soon, and I will identify with you. That encourages my heart. God gives special protection to those who continually do his will. He abides by us with his word when tribulation comes. And the church who endures patiently his coming looks forward to his return. And then he closes here, 13. The letter closes with a familiar appear. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen. Listen to the word of God. Listen to his truths. The promise given to the Philadelphia church and the challenge to continue to be faithful is certainly God's word to his whole church today. Evangelize, edify, repeat. Evangelize, edify, repeat. Evangelize, edify, repeat. We've been good at it for 50 years and prayerfully we'll be good at it for another 50 years. Have we made mistakes on the way? Absolutely. Are we going to make mistakes again? Absolutely. But just as children learn to walk, they rise again and continue to remain steadfast. I was talking to a dear brother of mine this past week, and uh, he was at the Wabash College for Boys. I don't know why, but he was there. He's an older guy, and he found himself at the Wabash College for Boys. I said, what are you doing there? He says, it's none of your business. Okay. <clears throat> he says, did you know that the Wabash College for Boys has one rule? I said, no, because I didn't know there was a Wabash College for Boys. <laughs> uh, and he says, uh, one rule. The one rule of the Wabash College for Boys is this. You always conduct yourself in a manner which will honor Wabash College. 
school, that you would always conduct yourself in a manner that would honor Wabash College. What is Christ's prayer for the church? It is to bring honor and glory to his name. What is the purpose of life? It's to bring honor and glory to the Lord who gave his life for ours. So may we always conduct ourselves in a way that brings honor and glory to Christ and to his church. That would be my prayer for the next 50 years of community gospel. That would be my prayer for you who are scattered in, in other churches. That we would always understand what Paul says. The worth of living a life worthy of the calling in which you have received. A calling to make disciples. A calling to share the gospel. A calling to love well, not only your neighbor, but also your Savior. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. That you would bring honor to Christ in all you say and do. That you would conduct yourself in a manner that would bring honor to the glory of God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, uh, you have shown us uh, in your word so often your faithfulness, your goodness, your kindness, your love. You have shown us multiple truths about what it means to follow after you. And you're not complex in regards to the offering of salvation. And so, as we have done for the last 50 years, and we continue to do, the offer is on the table. For those of us who are gathered here this morning, who don't have a relationship with you, the prayer is that they would come to know you. If you find yourself here, and there's a question mark over your head, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't have a relationship with this Jesus. I don't have a relationship with this God who loves me and who cares for me and who wants my best. Today, you make the best decision that you've ever made in your whole entire life, not the easiest decision, the best decision, that you would confess to the living God who hears your prayer that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And in the quietness of your heart, you would say, God, I understand that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior Come and rescue me. Live in my heart today. Live in my life. Live in my world. I give myself over to you. I believe in Jesus Christ, your son, that his blood covers my sin. The Bible says that you are a child of God after you make that decision to come to Christ. The Bible says that you are a new creation in the Lord. And I know that so many of us here today find ourselves as Christians, believers in Jesus Christ. Some of us have proven faithful for years and years and some of us just a few weeks, months. The call here for the Church of Philadelphia is a call for us today that as we pray together, we would pray the same prayer. Christ, may we live to bring you honor and glory. Clearly show us those who need to hear the message of the gospel that would make your son Jesus known near and far. As Ecclesiastes says, the hearts of eternity that long for it, reveal it to them and help us to preach your gospel so clearly. And for those of us who know our brothers and sisters in the Lord who are hurting, 
who are struggling, who are going through hardships. Maybe it's even us. That we would live in a way that would bring honor and glory to you. That we would go and love well. And that the world would see that love and how it's different from theirs. We cling to the promises of Scripture. We cling to these truths here today that you save us from ultimate tribulation, that you're coming again soon, and that you identify with us. May we remember those truths as we continue to live out yours. Align our will with your will. Give us another 50 years of faithfulness because you are faithful. We love you, Jesus. We lift up your name. We continue to proclaim your goodness. We thank you for your son and what it means to have a relationship with you through him. A relationship of faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.